I'm Katherine Yazzie, and you're listening to It's Okay to Love Yourself, a podcast that exists to give you a permission slip to love and accept yourself exactly as you are. Through casual conversations, we'll learn from those on their own journeys to loving themselves and uncover the impact it's had on their lives. We'll also examine the systems such as diet culture that exists to keep us stuck in self-loathing. So come on, we're all on this journey together. Let's dive in. Hello, friends, and welcome back to episode three of It's Okay to Love Yourself. I've taken the past few weeks off to amplify Black voices and seriously commit to incorporating more anti-racism resources and, and learnings into my own daily practices. Um, when I think about the messages that I'd like to put out into the world, including on this podcast, the impact I want to have, it's one that is truly inclusive of all human beings. Even in this, these past few weeks, I've been reflecting a lot on whether the name of this podcast of It's Okay to Love Yourself, if it's, if it's enough um, and goes far enough to really communicate just how, just how inclusive and equitable I would like that message of, of radical self-love to be in and who I want this to be for. I, I truly do not want to just create a space where folks who look like me, identify like me, feel safe and feel accepted. I want to do everything I can to ensure that this is a welcoming place and is something that anyone, no matter who you are, can get something out of. And I know that as a fat, white, heterosexual, cisgendered woman, I have a lot of privilege in this world. And I am doing what I can to use that privilege to spread awareness, speak out against the many injustices that have gone really largely unchecked for far too long in this country. I'm not claiming to be perfect at this by any means, but it's what I'm really trying to incorporate again into my daily life and learning from my past to understand where I I was complicit, where I did not do everything I could have uh, to fight for others and to stand up for them. And it feels like more and more in this past month that you can just see people awakening to, to these ideas. And it's encouraging to see that. Um, it's encouraging to see brands taking a stand and speaking out in support of the Black Lives Matter movement when just a few years ago, I feel that in some circles, especially especially in tech, which is the industry that I have been in for, for about six, seven years now, um, it was definitely more controversial. Controversial. 
And there were people who were afraid to rock the boat and to to be polarizing. But I I think now it's it's too late for that. We we cannot stay quiet because when we stay quiet, we're just perpetuating we're just perpetuating these systems and we're allowing these cycles and these patterns of injustice to continue. And enough is enough. We've we've seen the same stories play out over and over and over again. And it's time for us to to do more. It's time for us to really see what's going on and to learn about how we got to where we are. Um, You know, aside from speaking out on this podcast, posting on social media, taking the time to educate myself, uh, listening to to black people, listening to their experiences, um, donating money where and when I can, signing peti- petitions, calling, emailing to demand justice for folks such as Breonna Taylor, George Floyd. I, I think if if again, there's so many different ways to get involved and it's so important to me as someone who believes that really everyone in this country should have the right to live a life free from harm. Um, Everyone should be able to go for a run and not be afraid of their neighbors attacking them and murdering them in broad daylight. Uh, It's, it's just, it's so, again, it's just so far past um, the time where any of that is acceptable. And, we can't we can't accept that anymore uh if you think about you know the ideals that our country was literally founded on life liberty and the pursuit of happiness these ideals are not and have not been a reality for citizens of the united states who are black or brown or in other marginalized groups and we and i'm speaking primarily to white people here, we have work to do. It doesn't matter if our ancestors participated in slavery or not in this country. If, if you are white and in America today, you've benefited from living in the society. I have benefited from being a white woman in the society that is really founded on white supremacy and it's still you know, exists today in in many different ways. And doing this anti-racism work and self-reflection is definitely not glamorous. It's, It's uncomfortable. It's not something you do to feel good about yourself. Um, I've been reflecting on numerous situations in my past where I've acted in a problematic way, um, I can think back to comments that I've said in private that were racist, that I did not recognize as racist at the time. And for as many times where I know that I have spoken out against injustices and, and you know, spoken out in support of what I thought was right and when I've witnessed things that haven't sat well with me, um, 
I know that there's also many other times where it was easier for me to stay silent and I did stay silent and I'm ashamed of those times, all of those times from in my past. And I see that in those scenarios, I was really choosing my own personal comfort and, and feelings above, above putting myself in an uncomfortable position to speak out, um, being afraid to rock the boat. And my feelings and my comfort is, cannot be centered anymore. That cannot be the place from which I'm making decisions of how I'm showing up in the world, what I'm speaking out against. It it can't be focused on myself. It has to be really thinking about everyone and thinking about what is right and, and how we can move to create a whole new society that is inclusive and equitable to all people. Um, I, I definitely also want to call out that for, for a very long time, I used to think that because I never, really, I never would intentionally act in an outwardly racist manner. I've, I've known, you know, being racist is wrong. And I have never intentionally said anything or acted in a way that I had thought was racist, but it's not enough to just not act racist. Um, I have to continue to learn about about the systems of oppression in our country and how that those don't exist without me being a part of them and perpetuating these systems and these patterns, again, that have happened for years and years and years. And I think it's important that all of us as non-people of color really work on deepening our awareness and knowledge of how we've ended up where we are today. If you, it, looking back, and, and right now, you know, there's many articles being shared all over social media. Um, many of these articles are not from 2019 and 2020. These are from years ago. For years and years, decades, there's been activists who have been speaking out against racial injustice for their entire lifetimes. These people, black people, people of color in this country have been telling us, they've been screaming at us for forever that racism is still a problem. And at this point, and it's always been our job as white people, but now more than ever, it's really our job to do something about it. It's not theirs. They've already done so much and have I have called out so many things and we need to use our privilege and step up and help fight for them. I have been reading two books the past month that have had a really profound impact on my personal understanding of history um, in, in terms of some of the roots of white supremacist systems like diet culture, like fat phobia, um, racism. And I've also been reading about this concept of radical self-love through the book, The Body is Not an Apology by Sonia Renee Taylor. And to me, it's more clear than ever just how interconnected not only 
we are as humans, but the systems of oppression are also very deeply connected to one another. And that is why we need to learn about how these things developed, where they came from, so that we can dismantle them and create new systems that are more equal for everyone. And the book on history that I've been reading specifically about race and fat phobia is called Fearing the Fat Body, The Racial Origins of Fat Phobia by Sabrina Strings. The, both of these books are just incredibly well-researched and the concepts that were presented in them have been incredibly eye-opening to me and really changing the way that I'm viewing my own place in, in society and, and how my experiences in the world have been shaped by these historical events. Um, and they're also, again, just really deepening my conviction that we as individuals need to start with this inner work of educating ourselves and, and cultivating this sense of radical self-love that's not just a fleeting sense of self-confidence or self-esteem or self-acceptance because the truth is that we can feel that way for a day but we're human and we're going to wake up and we're going to have days where we don't feel positive about ourselves we're going to see something in the mirror that we don't like and if we are basing our acceptance of ourselves based on something that can and will change over time it's not enough it needs to be this really radical sense of self-worth and knowing that no matter what we are valuable we are worthy because if we see ourselves as that that's how we're going to see other people and those are some of the things that definitely rang true for me in Sonia Renee Taylor's book and I did Highly encourage you all to go out and read both of both of those books. If you have feedback for me, I'm I'm super open to it. I, I want to learn, I want to do better. I'm actively learning to help myself understand where I can be doing better at all times. And, and I've certainly uncovered quite a bit of that in the last few weeks. So switching gears to speak a bit to Sabrina String's book, Fearing the Fat Body, I was introduced to her via Christy Harrison, who has a phenomenal podcast called Food Psych. And Christy Harrison interviewed Sabrina Strings on her podcast where she traces back uh, traces back this concept of the thin ideal for white women and elites and um, really trying to answer that question of why are why do white people strive so hard <laughs> to to not be fat and to be thin. And where did that where did that come from in our culture where we're all so obsessed with thinness and that we put thinness on a pedestal and think that 
if you're thin, you're, you know, you, you're, you're treated better in this world. Um, you have, there's privilege in being thin. And that's something that, especially from the seat that I'm sitting in now as a person in this world and having grown up in, in a larger body, I, I, that is something that is not called out as much as it should be, in my opinion, when we have this conversation about privilege, because there is an inherent privilege in the current white supremacist world that we live in, where if you are thin, you, you are treated better than people who are not. And in the podcast episode that I listened to, it was just really eye-opening and I, it was, I won't spoil the episode, but Sabrina tells the story of the catalyst for her really deciding to go back to school and, and study this history. And she traces back all of these beauty standards, all of these concepts back to the Renaissance, back to the transatlantic slave trade, back to Protestantism and how religion really impacted our beliefs on body size and that there's a lot of religious discussion around how being thin meant that you had self-control and and if you were fat, that meant you were ungodly. Um, So there's a lot, a lot, a lot of things really tied up in this and and I want to really talk about this, this anti-blackness of, of fat phobia, and especially for fat black women in the world. And what I've been learning is, is how way, way back, hundreds and hundreds of years ago, there was actually in America, there, there was concern for people who were extremely thin and we actually valued a larger woman right like women had curves if you look at the renaissance all the paintings that you see (laughs) that was the standard of beauty and those women were not sticks thin they were much larger um and how a lot of times in in different societies that meant that you had resources and you could feed yourself and you were healthy and the both the transatlantic Atlantic slave trade and race science, which was many different European white men who had who who really created this idea of race and separated people into these different categories and and the whole theory behind it was that we weren't just one human race there was different types of of humans and they were not equal to one another and a great example of that there was actually a study done in this category of race science back in the 18th and 19th centuries where um a scientist theorized that the size of your brain is what determined intelligence and he measured different skulls and his findings were that the white skulls that he had measured were larger than black and other 
other racist skulls. And so therefore that white people were the most intelligent and therefore superior to black and brown people and and other non-white Europeans. And this was scientific, quote unquote, because we know now that none of that is true. We, We all have the same brains. It's that does not determine your intelligence by any means. But a lot of what this evidence that they were coming out with and these scientific theories, it was all to justify slavery. It was all to justify the horrific treatment of these enslaved people that these colonizers stole from their homes and completely destroyed families, destroyed their culture. Um, And Christy Harrison mentions in her book, Anti-Diet, which I've also been reading, which traces back the history of diet culture. um, You know, she mentions in her book that the Spanish, when they began colonizing different places, they, they truly believed that they were chosen by God to civilize black people. And so we're working with these beliefs that are just so inherently wrong and inherently racist. Um, And we have scientists who are coming out with more proof, quote unquote, to justify us treating black and brown people as not our equals, as lower than us. Um, One part of race scientists, I forget the name of the actual scientist himself, but he went went so far as to actually create a hierarchy of race. So they first categorized people into these different buckets, and then this hierarchy was created. And at the top of the hierarchy is, you guessed it, white European men, second to them, white European women. And guess who was at the bottom of the hierarchy? Black and brown people. And so when we start to introduce a hierarchy, there was more, there was more studies done around what physicalities and what physical features tended to exist more often in these different groups in this hierarchy. So during this study is when they started to see more of a prevalence of fatness amongst black people at the time. And it was at that point where they started that association between fatness and blackness really started to take shape and because these black people were in this position in the hierarchy they were enslaved they were you know they were in a position that white people and other folks in the hierarchy did not want to be in that is where we start to see as well as the influence of religion and and other things too but that's where we really start to see people in other groups trying to use these physical features to differentiate themselves from the lower groups 
and to have they had to start to prove that they belonged into the group and into the level of the hierarchy in which they fit into. And so fat was really demonized. So I hope that this episode and and really this conversation may have given you a different perspective on things and has given you a few resources to look into to both support black women and to also learn more about this history um, and to learn more about how you can start to do this inner work to really think about how you are connected to these systems. What have you done or not done that has allowed these systems to exist in this way for so long? And how you can start to liberate yourself from these systems and these patterns because that's the only way that we're going to make real change. And I know that that's incredibly scary to think about potentially, um, but I'd encourage you to start thinking about what would it mean to no longer try to change my body intentionally? What would it mean? What would it mean? And why? What's my reaction to that? <laughs> what would it mean to live in a world where women don't bond with each other over what they hate about themselves, but rather what they love about themselves. And what would it mean if we could all be comfortable with our differences and be exist in a world where differences are celebrated and not feared? Those are some of the things that I'm, I'm actively reflecting on and doing a lot of thinking on. To close this episode, I wanted to just tie together two pieces of the discussion that I've gone through um, as I've been editing this and I've been editing (laughs) this for, for quite some time trying to make sure that I am not centering my own voice and, um, hoping that I'm doing (laughs) an acceptable job again, just amplifying these messages and repeating the learnings that I've gotten from these two books, um, from these women that I very much respect and, and want to, want to do their work and, and all the hard work that they've done justice. Um, but the, the thing that as I'm thinking through, you know, this, this history of, of race science and knowing that there was a hierarchy where whiteness and where white men and women were at the top of this hierarchy, um, it really makes me think about this concept of, of normal and, and that there is a default sort of, there's a, there's a default image in our minds when we think about what a normal body looks like and 
And I think that's very closely tied to beauty standards. But Sonia Renee Taylor talks a lot in her book about how it's so difficult when we do live in a society where we can all envision normal because it's, it's, it's normal is the top of that hierarchy. It is a thin, able-bodied, cisgendered white person. Um, and when you do not look like that, you, we are all socialized and oriented to try to make ourselves fit into that norm. And that is what society and our culture tells us it values. And that is why we all have the power to really change that by looking within ourselves and cultivating that sense of self-worth and radical self-love and really challenging that belief that there is a normal what what is normal these days we are the world has not been normal now for quite some time since the coronavirus pandemic since all of these killings by the police of of black people just this year alone that's been happening for far longer but We've normalized so many things. We've normalized having a super expensive healthcare industry that doesn't cover all people. And we normalize people dying because they don't have insurance coverage. We've normalized people going to college and leaving with hundreds of thousands of dollars of student debt. We've normalized police brutality. We've normalized things that really do not serve us as people and, and... that are actively harming so many people in our world. And so that was the last thought I kind of wanted to leave this on is what, and, and, and I think the, the trap with normal is that when we, when we, when you have this definition of normal, it's very easy to just go on autopilot and it's easy to identify things in those two categories of yes this fits normal this fits not normal and uh you use that as as the basis of navigating the world you accept things that are normal much easier than you accept non-normal things and you accept those in other people as well as in yourself and you are going to be trained to have problems with things that do not fit that definition or that vision that you see in your head And so in order for us to move past that, we really need to actively see these things in ourself and and catch ourselves when when we might slip back into that autopilot mode. Um, And again, I, I, you know, I've talked a lot about different things in this episode, but I, but I do want to be clear too that I am in no way perfect at this and I I think I'm a I'm aware and I'm much more aware than I've ever been in my entire life but there's still days where I feel that desire to change my body because it doesn't fit normal and I still feel uncomfortable because of it and I still see that in other people too and I and it's hard you know it's not easy for me to admit that but it's true and uh it's it's something that, again, I want to, it's, it's a daily practice that I have to actively work on. And it's, 
it's challenging because we're fed so many messages. I've been fed these messages for decades. It's surrounded, it's in our every single day life uh, through media and and through other people. And, and, you know, these views have been passed down for generations. A lot of the history that I spoke to, and again, that I would encourage you to read the full history and all of the details um, in in many of the books out there that, that cover this. Um, but these ideas are not new. We did not just suddenly wake up as a society a couple of years ago and say, all of us need to be thin um, and all of us should you know, go on these diets. This has been an idea that's been around for quite some time and it has rooted, it's rooted in this belief um, that fat is lazy, that fat is not beautiful, that, that fat means uncivilized and out of control. And, and we have to, we have to look at that. We have to, we have to see that. And the only way that we can change it is to be aware of it and then to practice ensuring that we are not perpetuating those ideas and that we are starting with ourselves. It's This is not about policing other people. This is not me telling you what to think. This is me saying this to hold myself accountable more than anything, um, that this is something I'm trying to work towards. And admitting that it's hard to unlearn. It's really freaking hard. Um, I feel like I have a lot of just internalized fat phobia. And when you look at yourself and pick yourself apart, it's, you know, it's it's not fun. It doesn't feel good. It makes me feel like shit. Um, but I have it. It's, it's hard for me to see myself sometimes because of that. So thank you to everyone who has listened. Again, I definitely would love any feedback. I have done my best to make sure that um, I've given credit to the folks that I've learned from that have given me the the ideas and concepts that I've talked about um, today in this episode. I'm really grateful to both Sabrina Strings and to Sonia Renee Taylor for the important work that they have done and continue to do to really be vocal about these topics and to um, to have spent all the time they've spent on helping other people uh, be able to see this history and to lo- radically love themselves um, to help change our world. So super grateful for them. I hope that you will support them and and buy their books and go through again all of the many many details that I did not talk about today in this podcast that there are many out there um I I might do more of these types of solo episodes just talking through different concepts that I'm, I'm learning and and trying to potentially tie those into some of my own experiences um So let me know what you think, and I hope that you might have learned something new. And I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day, rest of your week. And we'll be back with another episode soon.
Thanks and take care.